Got 20 minutes? Then you have time for a Bible study. Jesus, name above all names, I worship you. Jesus, you're worthy to be praised. I worship you. Welcome to another episode of 20-Minute Bible Studies. Romans 10.17 says that faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Over the next 20 minutes, you're going to hear an important message directly from God's Word and have your faith and knowledge increased. All you have to do is listen. Now, here are your teachers. In the Gospel of John, Jesus uses seven metaphors to describe himself, all beginning with the phrase, I am. The first of these is, I am the bread of life. Our Lord went on to say that anyone who comes to him will never be hungry and never be thirsty. When reading these words, we can get creative about what Jesus meant. When we open our spiritual eyes, we will see that he intended to reveal an important mystery that connects the Old Testament to the New Testament and gives special meaning to a famous story about the Israelites. I'm Andy Balog. And I'm Jordan Pine. Join us now and let's listen to the Word of God. A reading from the Gospel of John. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. The one who comes to me will not be hungry, and the one who believes in me will never be thirsty. But I said to you that you have indeed seen me, and yet you do not believe. Everything that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that of everything that he has given me, I will lose nothing, but will raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on the last day. That was John chapter 6, verses 35 to 39. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. A key principle of Bible study is that we must always seek to take out of the Bible what God put into it, rather than reading into the Bible what we want it to say. That's why we created the SPACE method. SPACE is an acronym that reminds us to consider the speaker, audience, and context of a Bible passage before attempting an explanation. In other words, we like to think about the S, P, A, and C before getting into the E. Now, the speaker here is Jesus, the Messiah, the promised eternal King of Israel, and the one whom the prophet Isaiah called Emmanuel, meaning God is with us. The audience is the crowd, and we see that in verse 24, which says, So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into small boats and came to Capernaum looking for Jesus. Andy, who exactly was this crowd? So Jordan, the crowd here is a large group of Israelites that were following Jesus because they were led by God to believe in him. 
Now, it's probably key to remember that these were Jews, these were Israelites, these were not outsiders or Gentiles. Because at the time, as we we learn in the Bible, the Bible teaches us, Jesus teaches us that salvation is of the Jews, and you could read about that in John chapter 4. And also another quick point before we go on, I just want to discuss that at the time, it was Israel who had the opportunity for salvation to receive their Messiah. And what God was looking was for a national repentance from this group. So little different from what we have today. We have individuals being saved, you know, as part of the body of Christ. But as a nation, this is Israel, and we're seeing the beginning of them starting to follow and to see if Jesus was truly the Messiah. Thanks, Andy. And then moving on to the C of the SPACE acronym, the context, this is really the key to understanding this entire passage. Never read a Bible verse, as Greg Kokol of Stand to Reason likes to say. Instead, he says, always read a paragraph at least. As we mentioned, many read John 6.35, where Jesus says he is the bread of life, and those who come to him will never be hungry or thirsty, and they go off on some creative explanation of what Jesus meant by these metaphors. But when we open our spiritual eyes to the context here and read our Lord's comments from the paragraph that comes before he said these words, Our Lord reveals an important type or foreshadowing symbol that connects the gospel with the history of Israel. Let's go back in John 6 to verse 26 and read about this. Our guest reader today is JP. John chapter 6 verses 25 and 26. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, When did you get here? Jesus answered them and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw signs, but because you ate some of the loaves and were filled. For one thing, we now see why Jesus chose the bread metaphor. The context is that he had just miraculously fed 5,000 men, plus women and children, with bread five barley loaves to be specific, and two pieces of fish is all he had. The disciples passed his food around, and miraculously everyone was able to eat their fill, and there was even bread left over, enough to fill 12 full baskets. Yeah, and you know, we can speculate about whether these numbers are significant. You know, for instance, 12 is a number of significance in the Bible. Uh, The website biblestudy.org says, quote, The meaning of 12, which is considered a perfect number, is that it symbolizes God's power and authority, as well as serving as a perfect governmental foundation. It can also symbolize completeness for the nation of Israel as a whole. And that is uh, important to note, as you mentioned, Andy, when we think about the audience as well, the nation of Israel. This site also points out that in Leviticus 24, God specified that 12 unleavened cakes of bread be placed every week in the temple with frankincense, and then the priests were to change that bread every Sabbath day. So, you know, that's one important thing to note about numerology, but sometimes you can get a little too carried away, right, Andy? Yeah, I agree. Um, I think that, of course, in typology, you know, the numbers themselves represent what God wants us to know because, as, you know, we often talk about this, and I know we learned this from our mentor, Gary Whipple, Pastor Gary, is that numbers themselves and typology kind of go hand in hand. 
And there's the what what some theologians call a rule of first mention. So if we know that the Trinity is made up of three, obviously throughout the Bible, if we see the number three, we need to learn that there's a, a connection there, right? So right. like you mentioned, 12 does represent the, you know, the perfect number, the magic number, if you will, with God. But we have to be careful because I know there's a, a lot of different groups that maybe really read into that and try to make it more than it is. But really all it is is, is God's way of glorifying himself. Yeah, good points. And a lot of times, you know, these things are, uh, every type has an anti-type. Every symbol has a fulfillment of that symbol. So, you know, a lot of times you can know if it's a good, a good study of numerology by, by going back into the Old Testament, for example, if you're talking about the New Testament and looking for the connection. So why we think that this 12 is meaningful is because as BibleStudy.org said, you can go back to the rites of the temple and you can see how 12 was a significant number. I, in particular, I, I found it interesting that it... Um, it was a number of, of uh, unleavened cakes of bread. And of course, today we're talking about the bread metaphor. So it's a, it's a pretty clear connection there, as opposed to, you know, turning all the letters of the Bible into numbers and coming up with some kind of a Bible code. That's where it gets a little too, too crazy and you need to probably stop and realize you're outside of scripture. Yeah, so getting back to John 6, you know, Jesus chose to talk about bread because the crowd had just been fed by physical bread. And that's the important context here. In verse 26 of our scripture reading, he basically says to the crowd, your motivations for chasing after me are are pretty obvious. You don't really care about the incredible miracle that I just performed and what that might mean for the world and for Israel at a spiritual level. You just want more bread to satisfy your physical needs. And it was the same with the healing miracles, really, wasn't it? I mean, the, the great physician, Jesus, was there to cure spiritual sickness and save the spirits and souls of the world. But the crowds, they really just cared about the body and fixing their physical ailments. You know, there's a connection here. What Jesus is saying is that even today, sometimes Christians are more concerned about, you know, how our life is here on earth rather than worrying about what our life will be later on in heaven, what position we'll have or, you know, what our spiritual level is at. And sometimes we put the proverbial cart before the horse and, you know, and it shouldn't be that way. So, so, you know, I, I do see the connection even back then with Israel, but even with individual Christians today, sometimes, you know, we put our, you know, our, our physical well-being, our physical, you know, healings and miracles and our hunger sometimes as being, you know, the primary reason or the primary benefit of having salvation. When in reality, if we could just kind of let Jesus, you know, teach us in typology what was going on with Israel, we can learn a lot from that and apply that to our lives today. Yeah, amen. Okay, back to JP in our context. John, chapter 6, verses 27 to 29. Jesus said, Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that lasts for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him the Father, God, has set his seal. Therefore they said to him, What are we to do so that we may accomplish the works of God? Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. You missed the point, Jesus said. This is all about believing your Messiah is here. The miracle, the bread. Simple. 
Repent, the kingdom is near. Yeah, right. And then they ask him a pretty dumb question. They say, you know, what should we do to please God? And Jesus is like, isn't it obvious? You know, believe in your Messiah. Believe what I'm saying to you right now. Accept me and Israel will be restored as the prophets foretold. There will be peace on earth. I'm not the bread king. I'm the king of kings who will save the entire world. Amen. You know, we should also talk about works versus belief here. The crowd asks, what should we do to accomplish works? And Jesus replies, believe in your Messiah. That's the key word, believe. Yeah, he kind of uses a play on words. It, it was not about them accomplishing the works, plural of God, but about the work, singular, of God in bringing the Messiah into the world. So all they had to do was believe. And again, thinking about the audience here, what is this ultimately saying to them? And why do we have to be careful, Andy, in interpreting what it is saying to us? For them, Jordan, it was reversing things. You know, salvation by works, which we know is the Jewish way, even till today. I mean, in the Revelation, we see that, you know, once God starts dealing, after the rapture starts dealing with Israel again here on earth, he's going to have to send signs and wonders for them to believe. So works always seems to be connected to, to Israel. It's the Jewish way. But, you know, salvation by works became salvation by faith. And that's where we are today as well in our, in our faith. John chapter 6, verses 30 to 34. So they said to him, What then are you doing as a sign, so that we may see and believe you? What work are you performing? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread out of heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread out of heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread out of heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, always give us this bread. So the first thing I want to point out here is that the Apostle Paul nailed it. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, he wrote in 1 Corinthians 1.22. And here in verse 30, we see them demanding a sign in order to believe. And this, again, is right after Jesus just fed 5,000 plus people with five small loaves of barley. And by the way, there were leftovers. But the key in this passage, of course, is the typology. Jesus reveals that the manna that the Israelites ate in the wilderness was just a foreshadowing symbol, or type again, of something much, much more important. True bread that God would send out of heaven to give life, not just to the body, but to the world. More on this in a moment. Well, yes, that was a long C, I would say, and we're talking about context here, and context is the key of the study today. So let's get into the E of our scripture reading, the explanation. Let's break it down. John chapter 6, verse 35 and 36. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. The one who comes to me will not be hungry, and the one who believes in me will never be thirsty. But I said to you that you have indeed seen me, and yet 
you do not believe. Of course, the first thing we need to notice here is that Jesus begins with the words, I am. I am is the covenant name of God. And we see that by using that name. Jesus was calling back to his claim to be more than a man, more than the son of God. He was claiming to be God, the second person of the Godhead. Back to John 6, 25, you know, we have Jesus saying, I am the bread of life. Having read not just this Bible verse, but the paragraph that came before it, we begin to see why this bread metaphor was so tremendous. Right. As we already mentioned, Jesus is revealing that the manna the Israelites ate in the desert was a type or a foreshadowing symbol of himself. And he says this again, even more explicitly in verse 51, which reads, I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats from this bread, he will live forever. And the bread which I will give for the life of the world also is my flesh. Back to verse 35, after Jesus reveals that the manna was a type of himself, he also connects himself to another type from that time. What is that type, Andy? Well, Jordan, I'm sure that most of our listeners today are should be a little bit well-read and versed in, in some of the typology of what Jesus represented in the Old Testament. And we would be remiss not to remember that he is considered the rock. And if we look back of the look back in the Old Testament at the treks of the Israelites as they meandered throughout the desert, led by Moses, of course, we know that there was a rock that followed them wherever they went. And that as long as they spoke to that rock, water would come out. And of course, we know that even in the New Testament, Jesus is spoken of as the rock of our salvation, the great cornerstone of the church. John chapter 6, verses 37 and 38. Everything that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I certainly will not cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Jesus says he came not to do his own will, but the will of God. Yet we just showed Jesus is God. Don't these two ideas sort of contradict each other, Andy? No, absolutely not. I mean, it's a, it's a mystery that I, I truly know that it was not designed for us to understand. Will we understand it one day in his presence? For sure. I mean, we'll see God for who he truly is. But what we need to do is just believe and have faith and trust the word and, and trust that this is what God is teaching and he's trying to portray for us to understand. Yeah, you mentioned the word mystery, which, which it is, because when you try to comprehend the fact that Jesus was fully man in submission to God, while at the same time being fully God and part of the Trinity, the, the second office of the Trinity, as you mentioned, it really is hard to wrap our, our human brains around it. And I, I agree with you, Andy, that maybe hopefully one day when we are with the Father, we'll begin to understand some of these deeper truths that really are human minds just can't, can't seem to get. It, it is beyond us in some ways. Okay, and now here's JP again with our final reading. John chapter 6, verses 39 and 40. And this is the will of him who sent me, that of everything that he has given me, I will lose nothing, but will raise it up on the last day. 
For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on the last day. These verses offer more support for the doctrine of assurance. We see echoes of what Jesus would say later in John chapter 10, that once we are saved and in his hand, no one can snatch us from it. Why? Because we are in God's hands. Jesus is God. He's God the Son. And no one is stronger than God. And that, of course, includes us. We are not stronger than God, so we cannot cause ourselves to lose our salvation. Yeah, that's a great point. And verses 39 and 40 also represent support for the doctrine of the resurrection, which was somewhat controversial in that day. For instance, Mark 12, 18 tells us the Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection of the dead. That's why they were sad, you see. I like that one. <laughs> That's an old Pastor Whipple joke. Uh, joking aside, they once tried to trick Jesus with a complicated question about whose wife a woman would be at the resurrection if she were married seven times. And our Lord reminded them that there will be no marriage at that time. So the question was kind of moot. And then he went to the heart of the matter. He argued that the fact of the resurrection is plain in the scriptures. When God appeared to Moses hundreds of years after Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were dead, he said, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And then Jesus says, he is not the God of the dead, but of the living. Finally, we should talk about a key part of verse 40. Jesus says, Everyone who sees the Son and believes in Him will have eternal life. Wait, wait, hold on. Did Jesus just say you have to see Him in order to be saved? Yeah, but He wasn't being literal in that sense. He meant seeing with spiritual eyes, not physical ones. He meant it in the sense of to see Him for who He is, the Messiah, the salvation of the world, the only way to the Father. And then Jesus says they must believe as well meaning to put their trust in him. That's the sense of the original Greek word there. So we could summarize as perceive and believe, and you'll have eternal life. That said, we must also look deeper at the true meaning of eternal life. In the original Greek, it translated more like eonian life or eon-lasting life. And we've spoken about this phrase before, but briefly, it is typically translated as an unbroken age or eternity, but an eon is also a period of time, an age that does have a beginning and an end. In genealogy, for example, eons are long periods of time that are further divided into periods, epochs, and ages. The Greek word used in John can have a similar meaning, and when we put what Jesus is saying in context, we have some evidence that he may not have been talking about an everlasting age. Remember the audience again. Jesus always spoke exclusively to Israel as part of his ministry. And he had a central theme, which was repent because your king is here and his promised kingdom is near. In that light, eon or age-lasting life directly connects to the literal earthly kingdom that our Lord was announcing and that he will establish on the earth. Well said, Jordan. That's 20 minutes and that is our lesson. Until next time, we leave you with the words of the Apostle Paul. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ.
Thanks for joining us for another 20-minute Bible study. Special thanks to the family of Pastor Gary T. Whipple. Our music was recorded by the Abundant Life Worship Center. Our sound editor is J.P. Eli. I'm Steve Zioli, and until next time, may the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Mysteries of the Kingdom, Incorporated.